From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence, powered by the research of Talkers magazine, The National Conversation. It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, July 25th through Friday, July 29th, 2022. It was a week of interest and interest, artisan politics, international tension, and chip, chip, chipping away at China's semiconductor dominance. Get ready for a powerful hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, we've got righties, and we've got fence-sitters. Please don't get angry. Just listen closely and maintain a degree of educated skepticism, regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey at Talkers with a countdown of the 10 biggest topics of the week. Tim Van Horn in Memphis on crime. Dom Giordano in Philadelphia on politics. Dr. Renee Kohansky in Somerset, New Jersey on depression. Holland Cook on Block Island on the economy. And Matthew B. Harrison in Springfield, Mass on chips. Influential yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap. Heard coast-to-coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K., the past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10 this week, Big Tech and the CHIPS Act. The new bipartisan CHIPS Act made its way through Congress and is on its way to being signed into law by President Biden. It will pump more than $50 billion of support into the U.S. semiconductor industry. With the purpose of getting America back on a competitive track so it can keep up with foreign powers such as China in the business of producing chips and other digital era components that keep the wheels of progress turning. It's about time. At number nine, immigration. Now it's also about time the U.S. do something about its ongoing immigration crisis. Perhaps a bipartisan effort is called for as well in this sensitive, politically weaponized arena. At number eight, a three-way tie between race relations, LGBTQ rights, and abortion rights. Civil rights of all stripes continue to be front-burner items in the national conversation. Recent surveys indicate Americans are becoming more accepting of interracial marriage and families by a significant majority, marking a notable change in attitude than has been the norm through all of the nation's history. At number seven, COVID-19 and health care. The highly contagious COVID BA5 variant continues to spread as the nation is clearly experiencing another summertime wave of the still dangerous pandemic. Several recent studies released by the World Health Organization have supported the ongoing theory that the coronavirus can be traced directly to the food markets of Wuhan, China in late 2019. Meantime, 
Monkeypox continues to spread, and health officials warn it is indeed dangerous. Dr. Anthony Fauci said it's important to acknowledge the reality that the disease is having a disproportionate impact on gay men and directly address them, making sure physicians who are caring for that community are aware of it so they don't miss it. And he went on to say, you got to do that without stigmatizing the community. At number six, the Russia-Ukraine war and U.S. foreign affairs. Russia increased Western Europe's economic woes this week by cutting gas delivery supplies to the region, further escalating an energy standoff between Moscow and the European Union that will make it more difficult and costlier for the bloc to fill up storage ahead of the winter heating season. On the China front, the U.S. is seriously rethinking plans for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to visit Taiwan until it clarifies its policy on how to handle growing threats against the island nation. President Xi reportedly warned President Biden to lay off its meddling in the region, saying, if you play with fire, you'll get burned. At number five, the environment and climate change. Senator Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat who has stood in the way of many of his party's congressional initiatives, surprised everyone this week by agreeing to a sweeping tax and spending plan that would, among many other things, pour $369 billion into promoting clean energy sources and fighting climate change for up to a decade. This surprise development has provided the Biden administration with a huge boost in fulfilling what appeared to be a dead agenda on the climate and environmental protection front. At number four, crime and gun control. Talker's research continues to indicate that people across the nation are increasingly alarmed and politically motivated by the ongoing spike in crime statistics plaguing American cities. A number of commentators and talk show hosts describe the streets of urban centers such as San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, Washington, D.C., and more as having an increasing atmosphere of lawlessness. At number three, the January 6th committee hearings. The select committee is planning to submit 20 witness interview transcripts this coming week to the Justice Department amid prosecutors' increasingly public investigation of alleged efforts by former President Donald Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 election. Although he has a heck of a track record of slithering out of sticky situations, the walls are definitely closing in on former President Trump as prosecutors are preparing for a court battle to force former White House officials to testify about his conversation and actions around the insurrection. At number two, partisan politics and elections. Once united and now at political and personal odds, Donald Trump and Mike Pence are waging proxy wars against each other in the GOP primaries. Each appeared in the nation's capital this past week, speaking before Republican groups and events, presenting their cases for the future of the conservative movement. And at number one this week, the economy and the Fed interest rate hike. The big question of the week, although its answers remain somewhat nebulous because of the abnormality of the times, has been whether or not the United States has been, is in, or is heading into a recession. The Fed again hiked interest rates in an effort to cool inflation, a move that runs the risk of plunging the nation into a recession. You know the old joke that's again making the rounds of talk shows? A recession is when your neighbors lose their jobs. A depression is when you lose yours. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's kick off the interview segment of this week's program by listening to a fascinating and timely segment of my recent podcast interview with Tim Van Horn, who is the morning host at our affiliate in Memphis, Tennessee, the Mighty 990 KWAM. What are some of the hot issues that, that you are currently talking about 
on your show or uh, the people of Memphis concerned about at this particular moment? Oh, wow. We're in the midst of an election that's coming up August 4th. We're in early voting now in our county mayor and our district attorney's race. They are two of the hottest in the country, and we have just been uh, all over that. And the best thing is, is we've been able to get candidates from both uh, sides of the political spectrum to come in, which has been great. Uh, and, and, and it's helped me with some growth, too, because I, I, it's great to know and to be able to have guests in, regardless of where they stand on the political spectrum, know that they can come in and they may get some tough questions, but they're going to be treated fairly. And that has helped make us a destination uh, for political discourse. But the really the biggest thing uh, perpetually, I mean, you, it, it's pretty much an evergreen topic, is the crime in the city. Memphis is one of the most violent cities in the country. It's so bad that even our new chief of police, who's been here just one year, has been a victim of crime, not once, Michael, but twice. She's had a gun stolen out of her husband's car, and she was getting a new house built, and they stole the condenser unit off the back of the house. That's uh, something that I hear more and more about people saying that they have been victims of crime as opposed to just concerned about others who are victimized by crime more and more. It's it's like when COVID first started. Do you know anybody who has it? Do you know anybody who has it? No, not really. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I, I had it or I know somebody who had it. And then everybody knows somebody who had it or had it already. That seems to be the same syndrome with crime these days, that um, it's not an abstract thing that um, impacts others, but that people have their own uh, stories of being victimized by crime. Um, to what do you attribute uh, the spike in crime across the country? I, To me, I think there, there are a couple of factors, Michael. I think one is going to be the fact that so many police departments are understaffed. I know in Memphis, we're between five and 700 officers short of a full complement, according to a recent study. I think, I think that's a problem. And the data shows that previously when, when the city was at the levels of, you know, five to 700 more, that crime was actually much lower. There was a time, Michael, when we were considered one of the safest cities in the country, plus uh, one of the cleanest cities in the country, and, we, and we've seen a bit of that uh, slide significantly. I think another thing also is there was there has been a movement also to defund the police, but also just a general lack of respect uh, for law enforcement. We we have now folks that will do donuts in the middle of the interstate on a Saturday night to taunt police that that can't that can't come. We have a kind of a uh, saying here that when seconds matter, they'll be here in a few minutes. And I think that's a shortage and because there's just so much crime because people are getting bolder and bolder. But I also think it's a culture thing. I think it's a heart thing that, 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 that the lack of respect for just humanity means people are going to be bolder and, and commit crimes for, you know, lesser and lesser reasons. I mean, you get people that are stabbed over $3 in this town and, and it's just, it, it, it's it's stuff that we have to report on, but a big challenge in that, Michael, is is the fact that you don't want it to be a three hour you know news fest on crime. There has to be other things, but there is an obligation to let people know what the reality is. In conclusion, um, what is, what is your view 
of the future of the American conservative movement. I uh, I was heartened to hear that your station uh, entertains um, guests and voices from all over the spectrum, which I think is not only a good thing for the country, but I also think it's a good thing for talk radio. And you, you sort of corroborated that. But um, I do understand that the station is predominantly conservative and leans in a conservative direction. That's that's something that I know and that that, that you would probably agree to. What is your view of the future of the American conservative movement? I think there's there's a there's quite a bit of promise. I think short term, uh, if if you're in the midst of the conservative mo- movement, you look around and I think you feel like you are outnumbered. You know whether or not that is the that is the the actual truth because I mean you do have people that don't reveal their cards on their polit- political leanings and and to me it's like religion I mean it's to each to each their own I, it's not for it's not for me to try to browbeat your beliefs out of you or your medical records or anything like that I think for the conservative movement short term there are many that feel outnumbered I think though those numbers are growing we have seen in Loudoun County Virginia. Uh, those mama bears and papa bears that stand up uh, against uh, t- certain curriculums involving critical race theory or or whatever you may call it. But I think there are some obstacles. I think you have um, you have to have an understanding that conservative does not mean Republican and vice versa, because there is a, a part of that Republican continuum uh, that does not like conservatism. But what does embolden me long term is I believe that there is a generation coming up in middle school, high school, and college that are being exposed to really what what, what all the grown-ups are, are, are seeing now, and that is the fact uh, that there is a movement uh, across the country, a cultural uh, – I don't know if you'd call it a, a, a de-evolution or what you would call it um, – and they're being exposed to it. So these college kids are being told that they have certain privileges just because they were born looking uh, a certain way or they're a certain gender. Up is down. Right is left. And I think they're going to have the t- much tougher skin than me being a Generation Xer will be. And I do believe that there there will be a growth based upon – a younger, and I think we give younger generation a hard time. I think they're smarter than we give them credit for. I think I think they're going to have a tougher skin, and I think that uh, the conservative movement will continue to grow. But real quickly to your point, uh, for me, uh, it is a it's a privilege to be able to talk to everybody from from all political persuasions uh, because how do you how how do you ever get your point across, or how how do you ever learn about somebody else? Unless you just stop and listen, God gave us one mouth and two ears, and it's kind of like church. When's the last time did fi- did finger wagon work for you, Michael? You know, if I'm if I'm a conservative or if I'm on the if I'm on the far left as compared to the right, when's the last time shaking my finger at you? When were you persuaded by that? I don't I don't think that's ever worked before. I think it's I think there has to be a, a general respect. That's Tim Van Horn, the morning host at our affiliate, the Mighty 990, KWAM in Memphis, Tennessee. Coming up next, a deeper look into the Trump-Pence split and the future of GOP presidential politics. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap.
Greetings, fellow radio lovers. Thank goodness for C-Crane. C-Crane specializes in high-quality radios and radio-oriented audio products. And now, C-Crane carries their very own CC Solar Observer. When the power suddenly goes out, and that happens a lot these days, do you get that sinking feeling? Do I have a flashlight? Do I have a radio? The CC Solar Observer AM, FM, and Weather Radio will keep you informed during and after a powerless event. And it doesn't require electricity. C-Crane CC Solar Observer can be powered by the hand crank, solar panel, or common AA batteries, has a built-in flashlight, and has the ability to charge a smartphone in a pinch. I recommend it. To order the CC Solar Observer, call C-Crane now at 800-522-8863. That's 800-522-8863, or visit ccrane.com. Use promo code TALKERS22 for limited discounts until July 31st. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. There's been a tremendous amount of conversation on talk shows this past week about the growing political schism between former President Donald Trump and his one-time loyal VP, Mike Pence. We caught up with the Dean of Philadelphia Talk Radio, Dom Giordano, who hosts the daily noon to 3 p.m. show on WPHT to gain some perspective. This past week has been a fascinating Donald Trump politics show. On one level, he's being ripped apart by the uh, January 6 hearings. On another level, he's... um, conducting a a pre-announcement campaign for president as if he's the leader and um, a a guy who has a clean record. First of all, isn't that an amazing dichotomy? (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's uh, politics 2022. Sure. You know, uh, it's like you hold two truths that are absolutely diametrically opposed to uh, at the same time. Well, let's talk about let's talk about Trump as a candidate. We know that uh, he is certainly... I shouldn't say certainly. He is very possibly weakened by all the revelations and news coming out of the January 6th committee. And one of the key players in that drama is Mike Pence, who seems to be on the campaign trail. Now, I don't know whether Mike Pence has a shot at uh, getting the nomination. He's got his own baggage. But what do you think about the uh, Pence-Trump split and rivalry now? I think that uh, Pence, is, and the reason he was chosen as VP, Michael, is he has a lot of appeal with evangelical Christians. And I assume with the January 6th, particularly, we know now that the Secret Service was making calls uh, thinking they were going to have to use lethal force and that they may die, and that people were screaming, hang Pence, and there was actually uh, gallows there. That This may diminish a bit some of Trump's appeal with uh, evangelical Christians, particularly if there were no one else out there that uh, had that sort of approach. But Ron DeSantis has a Trumpian approach with details buttoned up and not looking backward, but looking forward. So I think that uh, Pence can diminish a bit and open the road for Ron DeSantis at the same time. Okay, so there's two schools of thought on that. One is if there are too many Republican challengers, that it'll water down the field and Trump will wind up with the biggest minority. In other words, he'll win with 30 or 40 percent. And you're saying that somebody like Pence, who at this moment seems to be, other than DeSantis, the highest profile potential challenger to Trump, um, that he'll take away from Trump but won't necessarily take away from 
DeSantis. I would say Pence wouldn't get the voters himself, mm-hmm. but he is a solid credentialed guy with uh, evangelical conservatives. That's his base. And uh, I'm not saying that he gets a percentage for it. I'm saying he enhances, though, the vulnerabilities of Trump. He amplifies, he gives that spotlight. And Trump will punch below his weight, which is always a bad thing. He'll be punching at Pence, who is not, I see no way that Pence can get the nomination in any way, shape, or form. So doing that allows DeSantis then on the other flank uh, to be doing well. And that's exactly what a DeSantis would want. Someone else making the case against Trump while he makes the case because of his competency. And again, not revisiting 2020, but moving the ball forward. I mean, just in the last stage, DeSantis has now set up an operation to go against woke capitalism and woke corporations, et cetera. Uh, He's hitting all the right things. And Michael, what I like is he lingers on them in the right way. He brings up new stuff about them. He doesn't blow past them. So uh, Mike Pence does nothing for himself here, I don't think, but he enhances DeSantis. And uh, and that, of course, is uh, is fascinating chess. Uh, the other yeah. el- the other element that um, comes to play in all of this and, and we mustn't forget is we haven't even had the midterms yet so that all of this conversation about the presidential race of 2024 uh, is is so early. We're so early that um, anything could happen between now and then. And that brings up the January 6th committee. Do you think. Uh, as somebody who presides over a daily show in a major city uh, and talking about these things, do you think that to one degree or another, the January 6th committee hearings are eroding Trump's power and position among the voters in general and specifically the voters in uh, GOP primaries? I think in general, uh, the GOP primary voter, I think uh, there, there's a lot of backlash against the January 6th. So, as bad as it's been for Trump, it's worse than I thought it would be. There is some around the edges. What's going to be a tell, though, Michael, are all these candidates, speaking of the midterms, Dr. Oz, uh, Herschel Walker, a bunch of them who are floundering, to be honest, at this point, that were Trump-endorsed candidates. If Republicans lose the Senate by one seat or so, and if they don't do as well in the House because of some of that backlash, That's the big vulnerability for Trump going forward. But we still don't know if there will be any legal repercussion. And if there is, does that bring the Trump people back with him? Does that make it even dicier to be associated with them? And I would say this, if there weren't a DeSantis out there, Trump would still be the nominee, despite all the January 6th and everything else. But because of DeSantis, these vulnerabilities I have people all the time saying, yeah, I voted for Trump, but this is a better model of what I need and what I want in DeSantis. That's radio talk show host Dom Giordano of WPHT in Philadelphia. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. The mental health of Americans continues to be a topic of importance in the national conversation. The national psyche is directly connected to crime, violence, and all kinds of anxiety inducers. The economy, the wars, the climate change, and a general feeling of uncertainty. Joining us from Somerset, New Jersey, is one of the nation's leading forensic psychiatrists, heard as an expert guest on radio, and whose participation in academic podcasts are followed by medical professionals across America. 
Dr. Renee Kohansky. You provoked my interest. You said you were watching a cable TV show and they were talking about uh, drugs and violence. Uh, let's fill everybody in. So the other day on one of the programs, they talked about the recent uh, attacks that have been happening and they noted that there were uh, the children who were committing some of these violent acts were on these medications, which are known as SSRIs. Mm-hmm. And um, SSRIs are the medications like Prozac and Zoloft and Paxil. And the commentator was saying that, well, because these, met, these kids were on medications like that, it's the medications that were causing these attacks, and they're making people get violent. And I was thinking, you know, that's not a terribly responsible thing to say because it's going to make people think that medications are causing people to get violent, and it's going to cause people to be concerned about being on medication, and it's actually going to do a disservice. And I thought, you know what? I really need to have an opportunity to correct that because it'll harm people. Yeah, it's a chicken and so the, the egg. the truth of the matter is, yeah. yeah you Go know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's like prisons are full of criminals. You know, well, um, yeah. <laughs> it's all how you want to it's all how you want to uh, interpret that. What does SSRI stand for? It's an acronym. It, it stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. So it basically what it does, it, it prevents, you know, when when one cell or one neuron talks to another neuron in the brain, it communicates by uh, by a chemical transmitter called serotonin and it goes into the space in between the two cells and by preventing the serotonin from getting taken back up, it keeps it around longer so that it can impact the second cell longer. So that's how it works. And and what do all of these different um, ailments that um, people turn to, and you're talking about young people, uh, what do they have in common that they would go to these SSRIs? You know, how do they relate to violence and to, to um, uh, antisocial behavior? Well, not necessarily antisocial behavior, Michael, but they're depressed or they're anxious or they're troubled. So it's not that the medication is causing them to get violent, but the fact that they're on medication is that they've already come to the attention of the system and they've been placed on medication because they're not doing well. The medication didn't cause them to not do well. No, no, I'm not not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is they obviously have something that can lead to being, you know, frustration or depression or, or, or dissatisfaction uh, that can lead to violence. And obviously these drugs are designed to alleviate that depression and those syndromes that lead to violence. I'm certainly not suggesting that violence comes from them. I just wondered what they all have in common, because um, I would assume that if this is a widespread situation, and again, you're talking about young people, then there's some type of an epidemic. We talk about COVID and pandemics. There's some type of an epidemic of depression going around. Uh, you know, is is that what's happening today? Um, are young people today, teenagers, people in their 20s, or is people of all ages suffering from these problems that fortunately perhaps we have these drugs to alleviate? Oh, yeah, I understood that's what you were saying, and absolutely that's that's going on. And then if you want to complicate the situation, not only are we suffering, I think you actually phrased it really well, from an epidemic of depression, but to make it even worse, 
were socially isolated. We, we were in a situation for almost two years where you took kids at the most vulnerable age and you socially isolated them. What's the worst thing that you could, what's the worst punishment that you do for people in prison? When you got somebody and you want to give them the worst possible punishment that you could do for somebody, you put them in social isolation. You put them in the hole. So we took our kids who were at the most vulnerable point in, in their life and we put them in social isolation. So we have this pandemic of depression. And then on top of this pandemic of depression, your word, I like that. And we put them in social isolation. So what's the difference between somebody who's depressed because of their circumstances versus somebody who is depressed based upon their chemistry? Am I getting too deep into the weeds here? Or um, is this something that um, is of interest and concern when diagnosing people and treating them? I think there's an overlap. I don't, you know, people like to say that there's chemical depression and it's a distinction from uh, uh, a uh, a society, a um, environmental depression. So I I look at it as kind of the biopsychosocial model of depression. And that's kind of how we look at it across the whole thing. So you could have a genetic predisposition to getting a mood disorder or depression. Uh, You could have no genetic predisposition, but just the whole circumstances. You could just be somebody who's sad. And there's a really big difference between being sad and being depressed. And and Michael, you could be somebody who's depressed. And most people who are depressed never, ever get violent. It just has to be kind of a perfect storm of, of a situation that leads to this ridiculous um, or this kind of, I wouldn't say ridiculous, but this toxic uh, mm. situation that we have now. So, so there is some type of toxicity in our culture, in our society, in these times that is playing at least a role in the mass shootings, the, the school shootings, the, uh, the lone, you know, male. You don't see girls doing this. You, see, you know, it's, it's mostly males. In many cases, it's white males. Um, for a while, we thought that they were bullied, but in some cases, that's not really at play. Um, this is a syndrome on the rise. And I go back to that word toxicity, and, and and you can answer this just as a person in this world who happens to be a psych- psychiatrist as opposed to this being a medical question. Is our society becoming increasingly toxic? All you have to do is kind of look around at what's, at what's happening. I think the world is always teetering in a balance between uh, between fighting a, a, a toxicity and trying to fight for some kind of civility. And there's always kind of a, a give and take on, on what's winning and what's losing. At the moment, one would be pulling in the direction that of, of toxicity, but I also believe that there are factors that are, that are, I want to say yes, but I also believe no. We live in complicated times. We always live in complicated times. And there are many variables that are kind of, there are, there are many variables that are pushing things. Some things that have motives that go bigger than the individual. But I have a belief in, in humanity. So I guess my belief in humanity is greater than anything else. That's forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Renee Kohansky. In addition to her media work in radio, podcasts, and print, she maintains a private practice in Somerset, New Jersey. Her website is rkdoctor.com. 
That's rkdoctor.com. Although gas prices seem to be tapering off, and a number of economists are saying that there are factors at work that might keep prices from going higher, such as in the housing market reaching a, a point that it might be turning around, things are still damn expensive, and people are finding their budgets are stretched. Coming up next, a return visit from media guru Holland Cook, who'll provide us with more helpful approaches to combating the scourge of inflation. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, D2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. The economy was the number one topic in the national conversation this week as the Fed raised interest rates again in an effort to cool off and slow down the overheated rise in prices that's causing so much hardship for hardworking Americans. Joining us again by popular demand after his appearance on the Michael Harrison Wrap two weekends ago is media consultant Holland Cook, whose new ebook titled Inflation Hacks, Save Those Benjamins, has become a hot and helpful item on the Internet. I'm hearing economists saying that this inflation and this recession and this period of time is not quite like any other and that some of the standard terms don't mean what they used to. How do you interpret the, the concept of inflation for those that don't know? I typed inflation into the search box in Google, and the answer that came up sounds like a newscast. It says, the main contributing factors include the increase in the money supply, worker shortages and rising wages, supply chain disruption, as well as fossil fuel policies. Talk about a snapshot of the new normal, which clearly is neither. And this is just one of those things that the pandemic shutdown has reset. What about now gas prices? Because gas prices seem to be among the big the, the big topics that you hear mentioned, you know, uh, the cost of housing 
and the cost of gas prices, the cost of food, and then they get into this nebulous thing called um, goods and services. But what's going on at the pump? I hear prices are coming down, or at least they were at the time we're talking. Every day for almost a month and a half now, and this is the big enchilada because everything you just mentioned, the cost of housing, housing materials, groceries, and getting ourselves around, all of that requires fuel because everything you buy, no matter where or from whom you buy it, had to get delivered. So it is helpful that the price of gas is inching down, but that's not the only way that you may be burning money. I got something from AARP, of which I'm a member, that says you're changing your oil too often, and maybe you got that little sticker on your windshield that says, we'll see you again in 3,000 miles. Mm. Many cars today have a, a synthetic oil that requires changing far less frequently, and there are little things you can do that all add up proper tire inflation. Do you still have a bunch of junk in the trunk from last winter? You know, you're hauling those unnecessary pounds around. And uh, suppose you got into a uh, fender bender. Maybe it's just a minor dent that's going to eat up your whole deductible if you go to an auto body shop. Try this. Grab the bathroom plunger, stick it in the middle of the dent, pour hot water over the area, then pull hard. That's <laughs> probably the first thing they're going to do at the auto body shop. Right. And if you have just a small scratch, you can cover it up with the matching nail polish. And we've all seen the infomercial for that expensive squirt bottle stuff that is going to make your headlights brighter again. You can do the same thing if you rub toothpaste over the headlight. Let it sit for a minute wipe it off with a clean cloth. So there are a lot of inflation hacks that can save us what may have been the lazy retail way to get along pre-pandemic. Do you remember the days when people would go out for a family drive to nowhere? And we're not talking about a road trip. We're talking about the other side of town for about an hour. That's where the term Sunday driver, you'd go out for a Sunday drive. (laughs) I don't think anybody does that. I don't think anybody's done that for years. Um, I guess that goes back to when gas was uh, 25 cents a gallon, which seemed like a lot in those days. But um, uh, I've heard you mention, and I think you even mentioned it the other day, you just want to repeat it, Maybe get rid of the car, the extra car, the extra third car. I mean, do you really need that these days? I'm still having a happy days flashback to the picture you just painted because guys our age, the children of post-war cul-de-sac America, President Eisenhower was building us an interstate highway system. Life was good. Buy a second car. Take a Sunday drive. Back to the future. People have settled for staycation for two summers in a row. They've heard or experienced the airline and airport horror stories. And despite how expensive gas got recently, they're driving anyway because they just got to get out of the house. So it's interesting how we manage to finance all that stuff. You can fill up your tank. If, for instance, you're a smarter shopper at the supermarket, it's a great big zero-sum game. What are your tips Your uh, tips for dealing with the food in the supermarkets? Well, can you imagine if you're walking down the aisle in the supermarket and you spot a $20 bill on the floor? You could save at least that much if you buy in bulk, but not everything. 
AARP recommends stocking up on bread because that freezes well. Canned fruits and vegetables and salmon and tuna, very easy to store, long shelf life, as does pasta and peanut butter. And whenever you see toilet paper, paper towels, tissues, napkins, plastic wrap, uh, plastic storage bags, garbage bags on deal, load up because they're not going to go bad. But there are some things that make sense not to buy in bulk. Big containers of junk food, for instance, which you probably shouldn't need to begin with. Yes. But they go stale as soon as you open the bag. Cheese does not freeze well. And because fish has a high water content, freezing it for too long, you lose the flavor. The olive oil has a limited shelf life. But it makes sense to shop smart and buy just enough. It's been estimated that Americans gobble up 73 billion pounds a year. And what we throw out is almost half of that. So, it, you know, it's just sinful not to shop carefully these days. The other day I heard you talking to somebody and you used the term false economies and to be careful of that. What does that mean? Well, uh, you think you're doing the right thing, but you're actually not. And I'll give you an example. Your mortgage payment, there's a little blank you can fill in at the bottom of the statement when you send in your check every month to add to the principal. And the thought being that you're shaving thousands and thousands of dollars off the ultimate cost of your mortgage because you're not going to end up paying interest after you've paid off your principal. So should we send another $100? Should we send another $500 this month if we happen to have it? That is a false economy if you have any credit card balance because your mortgage is a single digit interest rate debt. If you refinanced as recently as a year ago, you might have gotten 3%. And the last time rates were that low, LBJ was president. So <laughs> congratulations if you did. And if you missed that window a year ago, and maybe you're paying 5 6 7%, that's a much better deal than your credit card, which you're probably paying 16 or 17% on. So the big enchilada is that Visa or Master or Discover card that is just multiplying like rabbits. And if you make the minimum payment every month, you will never be out of debt. So how can people get uh, your uh, ebook, Inflation Hacks, Save Those Benjamins, and participate in your ongoing research, which keeps them evolving as uh, the times change, so does the ebook. And you can quote me.com is not just where you can download the ebook, but it's where we're collecting all this stuff. And I'm particularly proud that talk radio can do this because too much of what we hear about inflation on talk radio is a great big noisy blame game. And as that Google definition demonstrates, we're witnessing a perfect storm. So rather than just whining about why we have inflation, let's understand how it works. And what I love about this blog, and you can quote me.com, is that we're harvesting ideas from all the people that hear this and pitch in. And because it is an ebook, I can keep updating it. And every time somebody buys the ebook, I will put them on the instant update list and keep sending them newer versions. So whatever you're doing to make ends meet, post it at andyoucanquoteme.com and you could be in the next edition. That's media consultant Holland Cook. You can learn more about his ebook, Inflation Hacks Save Those Benjamins, by visiting the website andyoucanquoteme.com. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. 
big tech, Elon Musk, and endless aspects of the digital era are also perennial topics week after week in the national conversation. I turn now to a man who's an integral part of this radio program, the executive producer of the Michael Harrison Rap, vice president and associate publisher of Talkers, and media law professor Matthew B. Harrison. Well, here we are. Let's uh, talk a bit of the tech, because there's always tech talk, social media, um, of course, Elon Musk. And then there's a big story brewing. So, Matthew, um, let's get Musk out of the way. What's going on with Musk? Well, there's this alleged affair that he had with uh, the wife of the head of Google. That's amazing. Yeah. Both of them are denying it. So I guess that means that uh, they've either got their story straight or it truly didn't happen. Do you find when you talk to uh, people in the, in the legal profession and um, people of your generation, um, is, is Musk's star rising as an admirable figure or is he becoming a subject of ridicule as well as power and importance? I think it's it's sort of both. He's he's gaining intensity on both levels. Uh, recently, he uh, had some photos. Paparazzi released photos of him on a yacht, shirtless. Oh my! And that became uh, a huge trending meme on the uh, on the internet. Was, was he shirtless in a way that um, he was? It, it was like funny. Um, or does he have an Arnold Schwarzenegger type of a body? No, he he has a, a dad of 10 body and um, he does not tan, apparently. So um, he was very, very pale. And the Twitter deal is still up in the air? It is. Um, they're going to court. They've agreed to go to court. Uh, Musk wants to uh, to have it right away in October. Uh, October 17th is the proposed date of the trial. But Twitter wants assurances that it's going to be a five-day trial, and that's it. Well, this is going to be interesting. It'd be nice to get that past us because it seems to um, be causing a lot of people a lot of grief. And um, keeping um, Elon Musk uh, in terms of the public eye, maybe that's what he wants to begin with, just to be famous for being famous. Switching over to um, the economy, the, uh, the semiconductor industry, the CHIPS Act, it seems to be bipartisan. Some $50 billion are going to be funneled into, without uh, getting down the rabbit hole of all the details, uh, the United States government putting money toward getting America back on the track to be competitive with China in terms of that type of technology, which we've just let the rest of the world, including China, not only China, uh, kind of run away with it, leaving us in a very vulnerable position. Uh, vulnerable position. Yeah, it's going to be uh, $52 billion. Uh, talk about a, a, a subsidy aid uh, boost um, coming in uh, to really help uh, the manufacturers catch up and not be as dependent upon foreign pieces uh, for the manufacturing and also foreign labor. If we allow the um, the Chinese, if we allow, uh, we as America, allow other countries to have um, the, the high ground, to have the, the, the better positioning in terms of this type of technology, uh, it really puts us in a disadvantage uh, on every front because that technology runs it runs the military-industrial complex. It runs the automobile industry. It runs the computer industry. I mean, it basically runs everything. It it, it make us second-rate economic and um, uh, military power. Well, the man, the pandemic has certainly uh, shown uh, these problems with the supply chain and the fact that we don't have enough stuff to be able to keep up with demand. So, um, so this could be a good thing. Uh, and that's probably why it's bipartisan. Uh, it's being supported bipartisan as opposed to it uh, being like so many other um, 
issues uh, in terms of legislation and Congress um, that are being split completely by party lines. Uh, yeah, the only uh, the detractors of this bill uh, really aren't complaining about money being spent. It's that money's being spent in this particular field and those uh, senators and congresspeople, they're, they're not going to particularly benefit. Their districts are not going to benefit from that money because there's no proposed chip manufacturing building there. Oh, so it's um, it's sort of like uh, they're not going to be bringing the bacon back to their own uh, their own state. Correct. Or, or so they're on district. the record at least defending that. And that's Matthew B. Harrison, our show's executive producer. He's associate publisher of Talkers and a law professor. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation. Looking back at the week of Monday, July 25th through Friday, July 29th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelatalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.